Welcome to Sleepy Head Stories today. We love to read books, be silly, and play. Me and my mommy are here every week to read you great stories that all are unique. Join us at bedtime, or bath time, or breakfast. We promise it's better than a trip to the dentist. Welcome to Sleepyhead Stories. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Sleepyhead Stories. And in this episode, we will be finishing the book, The Tale of Little Pig Robinson. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, Conchetta and I finished this book a few days ago before bedtime. She really enjoyed it. And I think it's great to introduce a great way to introduce chapter books to your kids instead of just reading, you know, quick picture books. It's a great way for them to get used to understanding chapters and their reading comprehension of stories and characters and stories and connecting them all. This has been a lot of fun. So after these few short words, we will finish. The Tale of Little Pig Robinson. Chapter 5 Old Mr. Mumby was a deaf old man in spectacles who kept a general store. He sold almost anything you can imagine except ham, a circumstance much approved by Aunt Dorcas. It was the only general store in Stymouth where you would not find displayed upon the counter a large dish containing strings of thin, pale-colored, repulsively uncooked sausages and rolled bacon hanging from the ceiling. "'What a pleasure!' said Aunt Dorcas, feelingly. "'What possible pleasure can there be in entering a shop where you knock your head against ham? A ham that may have belonged to a dear second cousin. Therefore, the ants brought their sugar. They bought their sugar and tea and their blue bag and their soap and their frying pans, matches, and mugs from old Mr. Mumby. All these things he sold, and many more besides, and what he did not he kept in stock he would obtain to order. But yeast requires to be quite fresh, and he did not sell it. He advised Robinson to ask for yeast at a baker's shop. He also said it was too late in the season to buy cabbage seed. Everybody had finished sowing vegetable seeds this year. Worsted for darning he did sell, but Robinson had forgotten the color. Robinson bought six sticks of delightfully sticky barley sugar with his pennies and listened carefully to Mr. Mumby's message for Aunt Dorcas and Aunt Porcus, how they were to send some cabbages next week when the donkey cart would be mended, and how the kettle was not repaired yet, and there were a new patent box iron he would like to recommend to Aunt Porcus. Robinson said, Wee, 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 and listened to the little dog Tipkins, who stood on a stool behind the counter, tying up grocery parcels in blue paper bags. Little dog Tipkins whispered to Robinson, Were there any rats this spring in the barn at Piggery Porkum? And what would Robinson be doing on Saturday afternoon? Wee, 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 answered Robinson. Robinson came out of Mr. Mumby's heavily laden. The barley sugar was comforting, but he was troubled about the darning wool, the yeast, and the cabbage seed. 
He was looking about rather anxiously when again he met old Betsy, who exclaimed, Bless this little piggy, not gone home yet. Now it must not stop in Stymouth till it gets its pocket picked. Robinson explained his difficulty about the darning wool. Kind old Betsy was ready with help. Why, I noticed the wool round little primrose posy. It was blue-gray color, like the last pair of socks that I knitted for Sam. Come with me to the wool shop, Fleecy Flocks Wool Shop. I remember the color. Well, I do, said Betsy. Mrs. Flock was the sheep that had run against Robinson. She had bought herself three turnips and come straight home from market for fear of missing customers while her shop was locked up. Such a shop! Such a jumble, wool, all sorts of colors, thick wool, thin wool, fingering wool, and rug wool, bundles and bundles all jumbled up, and she could not put her hoof on anything. She was so confused and slow at finding things that Betsy got impatient. No, I don't want wool for slippers. Darning wool, fleecy, darning wool, same color as I bought for Sam socks. Bless me, no, not knitting needles, darning wool. Bah, bah. Did you say white or black, ma'am? Three-ply, was it? Oh, dear me, gray darning wool on cards, not heathier mixture. I know I have it somewhere, said Fleecy Flock helplessly, jumbling up the skeins and bundles. Simram came in the morning with part of the Hampton clip, and my shop is completely cluttered up. It took half an hour to find the wool. If Betsy had not been with him, Robinson would have never gotten it. <sighs> it's that late. I must go home, said Betsy. My Sam is on the shore today for dinner. If you take my advice, you will leave that big heavy basket with the Miss Goldfinches and hurry with your shopping. It's a long way uphill walk to Piggery Porkum. Robinson, anxious to follow old Betsy's advice, walked toward the Miss Goldfinches. On the way, he came to a baker, and he remembered, ah, the yeast. It was not the right sort of baker, unfortunately. There was a nice bakery smell, and in the pastry window, there was beautiful cakes, but it was an eating house or a cook shop. When he pushed the door swing open, a man in an apron and a square white cap turned round and said, Hello, is this a pork pie walking in on its hind legs? and four rude men at the dining table burst out laughing. Robinson left the shop in a hurry. He felt afraid to go into any other baker's shop. He was looking wistfully into another window in Four Street when Stumpy saw him again. He had taken his own basket home and come out on another errand. He carried Robinson's basket in his mouth and took him to a very safe baker where he was accustomed to buy dog biscuits for himself. There, Robinson purchased Aunt Dorcas's yeast at last. They searched in vain for cabbage seed. They were told that the only likely place where there was a little store was on the quay, kept by a pair of wagtails. "'It is a pity I cannot go with you,' said Stumpy." My Miss Rose has sprained her ankle, and she sent me to fetch twelve postage stamps, and I must take them home to her before the post goes out. Do not try to carry this heavy basket down and up the steps. Leave it with Miss Goldfinches. 
Robinson was very grateful to stump me. The two Miss Goldfinches kept a tea and coffee tavern, which was patronized by Aunt Dorcas and the quieter market people. Over the door was a sign up atop that said, The Contented Siskin, which was the name of their coffee tavern. They had a stable where the carrier's donkey rested when it came into Stymouth with the washing on Saturdays. Robinson looked so tired that the elder Miss Goldfinch gave him a cup of tea, but they both told him to drink it up quickly. Wee, 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 said Robinson, scalding his nose. In spite of their respect for Aunt Dorcas, the Miss Goldfinches disapproved of his solidarity shopping, and they said that the basket was far too heavy for him. Neither of us could lift it, said the elder Miss Goldfinch, holding out a tiny claw. Get your cabbage seed and hurry back. Simram's pony gig is still waiting in our stable. If you come back before he starts, I feel sure that he will give you a lift. At all your events, he will make room for your basket under the seat, and he passes Piggery Porkum. Run away now. Wee, 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 said Robinson. Whatever were they thinking to let him come alone? He will never get home before dark, said the elder Miss Goldfinch. Fly to the stable, Clara. Tell Simram's pony not to start without the basket. The younger Miss Goldfinch flew across the yard. They were industrious, sprightly, little ladybirds who kept lump sugar and thistle seed as well as their tea in their tea caddies. Their tables and china were spotlessly clean. So now we're on to chapter six. So little pig Robinson, you know, went to market. It's crazy busy there. After market, he's met some friends who've tried to help him get the rest of the items that are on his list. Without them, he wouldn't be able to find them. And everyone keeps telling him along the way, you need to hurry up and go back home. You need to hurry up and go back home and your basket's too heavy, but you need to hurry up because they know that the city and the town of Stymouth is a little too much for Robinson. Chapter 6. Stymouth was full of inns, too full. The farmers usually put up their horses at the Black Bull or the horse and farrier. The smaller market people patronized the pig and whistle. There was another inn called the Crown and Anchor and the, on the corner of 4th Street. It was much frequented by seamen. Several were lounging about the door with their hands in their pockets, one sailorman in a blue jersey sauntered across the road, staring very hard at Robinson. He said, I say, little pig, do you like snuff? Now, if Robinson had a fault, it was that he could not say no, not even to a hedgehog stealing eggs. As a matter of fact, snuff or tobacco made him sick. But instead of saying, no, thank you, Mr. Man, and going straight away about his business, he shuffled his feet half closed one eye, hung his head on one side, and grunted. The sailor pulled out a horn of snuff box and presented a small pinch to Robinson, who wrapped it up in a little bit of paper, intending to give it to Aunt Dorcas. Then, not to be outdone in politeness, he offered the sailorman some barley sugar. If Robinson was not fond of snuff at all events, his new acquaintance had no objection to candy. He ate an alarming amount then he pulled Robinson's ear and complimented him and said he had five chins. 
He promised to take Robinson to the cabbage seeds shop, and finally he begged to have the honor of showing him over a ship engaged in the ginger trade, commanded by Captain Barnabas Butcher, and named the Pound of Candles. Robinson did not very much like the name. It reminded him of tallow, of lard, of crackle, and trimmings of bacon. But he allowed himself to be led away, smiling shyly and walking on his toes, if Robinson had only known that the man was the ship's cook. As they turned down the steep, narrow lane out of High Street, leading to the harbor, old Mr. Mumby, at his shop door, called out anxiously, "'Robinson! Robinson!' But there was too much noise of carts, and a customer coming into the shop at that moment distracted his attention, and he forgot the suspicious behavior of the sailor. Otherwise, out of regard for the family, he would undoubtedly have reordered the dog, Tipkins, to go and fetch Robinson back. As it was, he was the first person to give useful information to the police when Robinson had been missed, but it was too late then. Robinson and his new friend went down the long flight of steps to the harbor basin, the very high steps, steep and slippery steps. The little pig was obliged to jump from step to step until the sailor kindly took hold of him. They walked along the quay hand in hand. Their appearance seemed to cause unbounded amusement. Robinson looked about him with much interest. He had peeped over those steps before when he had come into Stymouth in the donkey cart but he had never ventured to go down because the sailors are rather rough and because they frequently have little snarling terriers on guard about their vessels. There were ever so many ships in the harbor. The noise and bustle was almost as loud as it had been up above in the market square. A big three-masted ship called Goldilocks was discharging a cargo of oranges, and farther along the quay a small coasting brig called Little Bull Peep of Bristol was loaded up with bales of wool belonging to the sheep of Hampton and Lamworthy. Old Sim Ram, with a sheep bell and big curly horns, stood by the gangway keeping count of the bales of hay. Every time the crane swung round and let down another bale of wool into the hold, with a scruffle of rope through the pulley, Simon Ram nodded his old head, and the bell went tinkle, tinkle, tongue, and he gave a gruff bleat. He was a person who knew Robinson by sight, and he ought to have warned him. He had often passed Piggery Porkham when he drove down the lane in his gig, but his blind eye was turned toward the quay, and he had been fr flustered and confused by an argument with the pursers as to whether 35 bales of wool had been hoisted on board already or if it was only 34. So he kept his one useful eye carefully on the wool and counted it by the notches on his tally stick. Another bale, another notch, 35, 36, 37. He hoped the number would have come right at the finish. His bobtail sheepdog, Timothy Gipp, was also acquainted with Robinson, but he was very busy superintending a dog fight between an Airedale Terrier belonging to the collier Marjorie Daw and a Spanish dog belonging to the Goldilocks. No one took any notice of their growling and snarling, which ended in both rolling over the side of the quay and falling into the water. Robinson kept close tight next to the sailor and held his hand. 
The pound of candles proved to be a good-sized schooner, newly painted and decorated with certain flags, whose significance was not understood by Robinson. She lay near the outer end of the jetty. The tide was running up fast, lapping against the ship's sides, and straining the thick hoisters by which she was moored to the quay. The crew was were stowing goods on board and doing things with ropes under the direction of Captain Barnabas Butcher, a lean brown nautical person with a rasping voice. His bang, he banged things about and he grumbled parts and his remarks were audible on the quay. He was speaking about the tug, seahorse, and about the spring tide with a northeast wind behind it and the baker's man and fresh vegetables to be shipped at 11 sharp. Likewise, a joint of... He stopped short suddenly. His eyes lighted upon the cook and Robinson. Robinson and the cook went on board across a shanky plank. When Robinson stepped onto the deck, he found himself face to face with a large yellow cat who was blacking boots. The cat gave a start of surprise and dropped its blacking brush. It then began to wink and make extraordinary faces at Robinson. He had never seen a cat behave in that way before. He inquired whether it was ill. Whereupon the cook threw a boot at it and it rushed up into the rigging. But Robinson, he invited most affably to descend into the cabin to partake in muffins and crumpets. I do not know how many muffins Robinson consumed. He went on eating them until he fell asleep, and he went on sleeping until his stool gave a lurch and he fell off and rolled under the table. One side of the cabin floor swung up to the ceiling, and the other side of the ceiling swung down to the floor. The plates danced about, and there were shoutings and thumpings and rattlings of chains and other bad sounds. Robinson picked himself up, feeling bumped. He scrambled up a sort of ladder staircase on the deck. Then he gave a squeal upon squeal of horror. All around the ship, there were great big green waves. The houses on the quay were like doll houses and high up inland. Above the red cliffs and green fields, he could see the farm of Piggery Porkum looking no bigger than a postage stamp. A little white patch in the orchard was Aunt Porkus's washing spread out to bleach upon the grass. Near at hand, the black tug seahorse smoked and plunged and rolled. They were winding in the tow rope, which had just been cast loose from the pound of candles. So the cook has brought Robinson onto the ship and fed him and fed him and fed him until he fell asleep. And when he woke up, he saw that the ship was actually at sea, leaving the port. Captain Barnabas stood up in the bows of the schooner and he yelled and shouted to the master of the tug. The sailor shouted also and pulled with will and hoisted the sails. The ship heeled over and rushed through the waves, and there was the smell of the sea. As for Robinson, he tore round and round the deck like one distracted, shrieking with shrill and loud. Once or twice he slipped down, for the deck was extremely sideways, but he still ran and ran. Gradually his squeals subsided into singing, but he still kept on running, and this was what he sang. Poor pig Robinson Crusoe, oh, how in the world could they do so? They have set him afloat in a horrible boat, oh, poor pig Robinson Crusoe. The sailors laughed until they cried. 
But when Robinson had sung the same verse about fifty times and upset several sailors by rushing between their legs, they began to get angry. Even the ship's cook was no longer civil to Robinson. On the contrary, he was very rude indeed. He said that if Robinson did not leave off singing with his nose, he would take him and make him into pork chops. Hmm. Then Robinson fainted (laughs) and fell flat upon the deck of the pound of gandals. Oh boy, Robinson. Chapter 7. It must not be supposed for one moment that Robinson was ill-treated on board ship. Quite the contrary. He even was felt even better and more fed and more petted on the pound of candles than he had ever been at Piggery Porkum. So, after a days of fretting and for his kind of aunts, missing his aunts, especially while he was seasick, Robinson became perfectly contented and happy. He found what is called his sea legs, and he scampered about the deck until the time when he became too fat and lazy to scamper. The cook was never tired of boiling porridge for him. A whole sack full of meal and a sack of potatoes appeared to have been provided especially for his benefit and pleasure. He could eat as much as he pleased, and it pleased him to eat a great deal and to lie on the warm boards of the deck. He got lazier and lazier as the ship sailed south into warmer weather. The mate made a pet of him. The crew gave him tidbits. The cook rubbed his back and scratched his sides. His ribs could not be tickled because he had laid so much fat on. The only persons who refused to treat him as a joke were the yellow tomcat and Captain Barnabas Barnabas Butcher, who was a sour disposition. The attitude of the cat was perplexing to Robinson. Obviously, it disapproved of the maize meal porridge business, and it spoke mysteriously about the improprietary of greediness and about the the disastrous results of overindulgence. But it did not explain what those results might be, and as the cat itself cared neither for yellow mirror nor tatties, Robinson thought that its warnings might arise from prejudice. It was not friendly. It was mournful and foreboding. The cat itself was crossed in love. Its morose and gloomy outlook upon life was partly the the result of separation from the owl. The sweet hen bird, a snowy owl of Lapland, had sailed upon a northern whaler bound for Greenland, whereas the pound of candles was heading for tropic seas. Therefore, the cat neglected its duties and was upon the worst of terms with the cook. Instead of blacking boots and valeting the captain, it spent days and nights in the rigging, serenading the moon. Between times, it came round on deck and remonstrated with Robinson. It never told him plainly why he ought not to eat so much but it referred frequently to a mysterious date, which Robinson could never remember, the date of Captain Butcher's birthday, which he celebrated annually by an extra good dinner. That's what they're saving up for apples for. The onions are done, sprouted with heat. I heard Captain Barnabas tell the cook that the onions were of no consequence as long as there were apples for the sauce. Robinson paid no attention. In fact, he and the cat were both on the side of the ship, watching a shoal of silvery fishes. The ship was completely becalmed. 
the cook strolled across the deck to see what the cat was looking at and exclaimed joyfully at the sight of fresh fish. Presently, half the crew were fishing and the other half baited lines. The worst of button fishing was that so many fish dropped off while being hauled on deck. Consequently, Captain Butcher allowed the crew to launch the jolly boat, which was let down for some iron contraption called the davits onto the glossy surface of the sea. Five sailors got into the boat. The cat jumped in also. They fished for hours. There was not a breath of wind. In the absence of the cat, Robinson fell asleep peacefully upon the warm deck. Later, he was disturbed by the voices of a mate and the cook who had not gone fishing. The former was saying, I don't fancy loin of pork with sunstroke cookie. Stir him up or else throw a piece of sailcloth over him. I was bred on a farm myself. Pigs should never be let to sleep in hot sun. And why? inquired the cook. Sunstroke, replied the mate. Likewise, it scorches their skin and makes it peely-like, and it spoils the look of the crackling. At this point, a rather heavy, dirty piece of sailcloth was flung over Robinson, who struggled and kicked with hidden and sudden grunts. Did, did he hear you, matey? asked the cook in a lower voice. Hmm, I don't know. doesn't matter. He can't get off the ship, replied the mate, lighting the pipe. He might be upset, and it might upset his appetite. His feeding is beautiful, said the cook. Presently, the voice of Captain Barnabas Busher was heard. He had come up on deck after a siesta below in the cabin. Proceed to the crow's nest on the main mast. Observe the horizon through a telescope according to latitude and longitude. We ought to be amongst the archipelago by the chart and compass, said the voice of Captain Butcher. It reached the ears of Robinson through the sailcloth in muffled tones, although it was not so received by the mate, who occasionally contradicted the captain when no one else was listening. Ugh, my corns are very painful, said the mate. Send the cat up, ordered, the ca ordered Captain Barnabas briefly. The cat is out in the fishing boat. Fetch him in then, said Captain Barnabas, losing his temper. <sighs> he, was not, he has not blacked my boots for the fortnight. He went below, and that is, down a stepladder into the cabin, where he proceeded to work out the latitude and longitude again in search of the archipelago. It had been hoped that he mends his temper before next Thursday, or he won't enjoy the pork, said the mate to the cook. They, stro <clears throat> they strolled to the other end of the deck to see what fish had been caught. The boat was coming back. As weather was perfectly calm, it was left overnight upon the glassy sea, tied up below a porthole or ship's window at the stern of the pound of candles. The cat was sent up the mast with a telescope. It remained there for some time. When it came down, it reported quite untruthfully that there was nothing in sight. No particular watch or lookout was kept that night upon the pound of candles because the ocean was so calm. The cat was supposed to watch if anybody did. All the rest of the ship's com company played cards. Not so the cat or Robinson. The cat had noticed a slight movement under the sailcloth. It found Robinson shivering with fright and in floods of tears. 
he had overheard the conversation about pork. I'm sure I haven't given you enough hints, said the cat to Robinson. What do you suppose they were feeding you up for? Now don't start squealing, you little fool, as it's easy as snuff if you will listen and stop crying. You can row after a fashion. Robinson had been out fishing occasionally and caught several crabs. Well, you have not too far to go. I could see the top of the bong tree on an island north-northeast when I was up in the mast. The straits of the archipelago are too shallow for the pound of candles, and I'll scuttle all the other boats. Come along and do what I tell you, said the cat. So what's happening is they started to, you know, Robinson overheard them talking about how they're going to cook him (laughs) and they threw a, a cloth over him and wrapped him up and even though the cat's been constantly trying to warn him you know don't eat so much what are you doing you know that's not good Robinson paid no attention so now the cat's found the perfect opportunity to help Robinson escape the cat actuated partly by unselfish friendship and partly by a grudge against the cook and Captain Barnabas Butcher assisted Robinson to collect a variety of assorted necessities shoes sealing wax a knife an armchair fishing tackle a straw hat a saw fly papers a potato pot a telescope a kettle a compass a hammer a barrel of flour another pot of meal a keg of fresh water a tumbler a teapot nails a bucket and a screwdriver that reminds me said the cat and what did I do but go round the deck with a gimlet and bore large holes in three parts of the boat that remained on board the pound of candles? By this time there began to be ominous sounds below. Those of the sailors who had bad hands were beginning to be tired of playing cards. So the cat took a hasty farewell to Robinson and pushed him over the ship's side. And he slid down the rope into the boat. The cat fastened, unfastened the upper end of the rope and threw it after him. Then it ascended the rigging and pretended to sleep upon its watch. Robinson stumbled somewhat in taking his seat at the oars. His legs were short for rowing. Captain Barnabas in the cabin suspended his deal and his cards, listening. The cook took the opportunity to look under the card. Then he went on slapping down his cards, which drowned the sound of the oars placed upon the sea. After another hand, two sailors left the cabin and went on the deck. They noticed something having the appearance of a large black beetle in the distance. One of them said it was an enormous cockroach swimming with its hind legs. The other one said, it's a dolphin. They disputed rather loudly. Captain Barnabas, who had a hand with no trumps at all after the cook dealing, came back and said, bring me my telescope. The telescope had disappeared. Likewise, the shoes, the sealing wax, the compass, the potato pot, the straw, the hat, the hammer, the nails, the bucket, the screwdriver, and the armchair. Take the jolly boat and see what it is, ordered Captain Butcher. Uh, All jolly fine, but suppose it's maybe just a dolphin, said the mate. Why, bless my life, the jolly boat is gone, explained a sailor. Take another boat. Take all three boats. It's that pig and that cat, roared the captain. Uh Uh-oh. 
Nay, sir, the cat's up in the rigging asleep. Bother the cat! Get the pig back! The applesauce will be wasted, shrieked the cook, dancing about and brandishing a knife and fork. The davits were swung out, the boats were let down, and with a swish and a splash, all the sailors tumbled in and rowed frantically, and most of them were glad to row frantically back to the pound of candles, for every boat leaked badly, thanks to the cat. Remember how the cat said quickly screwed holes in some of the boats before Robinson left. Robinson rowed away from the pound of candles. He tugged steadily at the oars. They were heavy for him. The sun had set, but I understand that in the tropics, I have never been there, there is a phosphorescent light upon the sea. When Robinson lifted his oars, the sparkling water dripped from the blades like diamonds and presented the moon, which began to rise above the horizon, rising like a half-great silver plate. Robinson rested on his oars and gazed at the ship motionless in the moonlight on a sea without a ripple. It was at this moment, he being a quarter mile away, that the two sailors came on deck and thought his boat was a swimming beetle. Robinson was too far away to see or hear the uproar on board of the pound of candles, but he presently perceived that the three boats were starting in pursuit. Involuntarily, he commenced to squeal and row frantically, but before he had time to exhaust himself by racing, the ship's boats turned back. Then Robinson remembered the cat's work with the gimlet, and he knew that the boats were leaking and sinking. For the rest of the night, he rowed quietly without haste. He was not inclined to sleep, and the air was pleasantly cool. Next day it was hot, but Robinson slept soundly underneath the sailcloth, which the cat had been careful to send with him in case he wished wished to rig a tent. The ship receded from view. You know the sea is not really flat. First he could not see the hull, then he could not see the deck, then only part of the masts, and then nothing at all. Robinson had been steering his course by the ship. Having lost sight of this direction, he turned round to consult his compass, when bump, bump, the boat touched a sea bank. Fortunately, it did not stick. Robinson stood up in the boat, working one oar backwards, and gazed around. What should he see but the top of a bong tree? Half an hour's rowing brought him to the beach of a large and fertile island. He landed in the most approved manner, in a convenient sheltered bay, where a stream of boiling water flowed down the silvery sand. The shore was covered with oysters, acid drops, and sweets grew upon the trees. Yams, which are sort of sweet potato, abounded readily to eat. The breadfruit trees grew iced cakes and muffins ready to be baked. So no pig need to eat porridge. Overhead towered the bong tree. If you want a more detailed description of the island, you must read Robinson Crusoe. The island of the bong tree was very like Crusoe's, only without its drawbacks. I've never been there myself, so I rely upon the report of the owl and the pussycat, who visited it 18 months later and spent a delightful honeymoon there. 
They spoke enthusiastically about the climate, only it was a little too warm for the owl. Later on, Robinson was visited by Stumpy and little dog Tipkins. They found him perfectly contented and in the best of good health. He was not at all inclined to return to Stymouth. For anything, I know he may have lived there still upon the island. He grew fatter and fatter and more fatter, and the ship's cook never, ever found him. The end. Guys, that was the tale of Robin, Little Pig Robinson. I hope you enjoyed it. He got away, and he's living happily on a nice little island where he has all the food and sweets he could ever imagine. Thank you for listening. I wish you a good night. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sleepyhead Stories. And if you're new here, welcome. We release a new episode each week, so be sure to stay tuned. If you'd like to hear more from us, please go on our website, sleepyheadstoriespodcast.com. We have photos on there, merchandise. There are links to our Instagram and Facebook pages. You can even send us a message. And speaking of messages, they're our favorite thing about doing this podcast is to hear from you guys. You can even find a link in the show notes and you can send us a voice message that we can publish on a future episode of Sleepyhead Stories. Guys, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. We love doing Sleepyhead Stories and we love sharing books with all of you. Have a great day or a great night and we will talk to you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.